In this episode, we talk about Neil Young, the band, and Bob Dylan, and I Love Lucy. Super hot topical with all of that. And we're also going to talk about one of my favorite guitars in my collection. Didn't have a lot that was new. It'll be fine. It'll be f- We'll have fun. You'll have fun. I'm your host, Eric Brink, and you are listening to Empty Checking. Checkmates, it's your old Uncle Derek talking to you from a day that felt a lot like fall in St. Louis. So I'm told I didn't go outside because it was raining when I got up and I worked from home and uh, I had no reason to put on pants or open the door. Didn't even hear the mail arrive. I don't think I got mail today even. So I'm told it was unseasonably nice, but... I've just got to take people's word for that. I will... I will never know if that's the truth. I will... never know. And neither will you. I hope you're doing okay. Uh, I, uh, I'm i doing alright, I guess. It's been a hectic time in my life. It's been busy. I've been stressed out. I haven't been sleeping great. Uh, I've been... Like, even, like, in the moments where I think I could, like, sleep for a full eight hours or whatever, I tend to stay up until two or three in the morning, uh, because I don't, psychologically, I think I don't feel like I have control over the normal hours of my day, so I'm staying up late to, to have control over those hours, which is giving me less control over the daytime hours, because then I'm also exhausted, it's it's a it's a catch twenty two, is what it is, but I'm doing okay. I think I'm I'm you know tired, but I'm doing okay. Uh, been trying to uh, eat a little bit better. I could have I I I know some of you like that probably sounded like I was just stopping at. I've been trying to eat. I've been trying to eat a little better. I've been uh, uh I've I've put on some weight. In the last year, not uh, not necessarily night and day difference from well, I guess it is probably night and day difference from my best weight, but I'm I'm not near as heavy as I was at my worst, but uh, but I have I've put on some weight and 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 I know that, and uh, I decided to address that, so I've been trying to eat a little bit better, and I've been screwing it up <laughs> because that's what you do, but I've been I've been screwing it up pretty regularly and pretty royally. Actually, really, only screwed it up twice in the last week. I uh, I uh, went to a Chinese buffet and thought I'll eat light, uh, <laughs> which is the dumbest thought you could possibly have at a Chinese buffet. Uh, good sushi there, but you know, you get to the end of your plate of sushi and you go, all right, well, let's see what kind of fried crap we can pile on here. And you know, so I did that one day, and uh, I had uh, I ordered I just ordered a, a burger over the weekend. I just, I, I felt like I medically needed a burger and fries and a chocolate shake. Uh, that's all I ate that day, to my credit. It was still probably too many calories to actually lose any weight. Uh, but I, I only ate the burger and fries and, and chocolate shake. And, and uh, I'll tell you this, it was good. Uh, I, I think not having any other food that day made it better. Uh, but on the other days, those are the two days I really screwed it up. The other days I've been doing, you know vegetables and and very light eating uh today i had uh some tuna like tuna sandwiches that made for myself i had two tuna sandwiches uh mostly had two tuna sandwiches because i have two cats and i give the cats the water from the tuna uh cans when i when i pour out the water i just pour that into into food bowls and give them to the cats and they lap it up and i've got two cats so i needed to open two cans so i had two sandwiches uh so i had that and I also had uh, some granola bars, so not not too bad, not too bad today. If I had if I had opened my door and gone outside and walked around a little bit, I probably would have lost a little bit today. As it is, I probably just didn't gain, and that's okay. We're gonna do vegetables and stuff tomorrow. 
uh, yeah, that's just sort of where we are. I, you know, I, I, that's the most interesting thing going in my life this week is that I'm trying to eat better and not doing a great job of it sometimes. That's, that's the most fascinating that I can possibly be to you right now. Uh, it has been hectic. It has been frustrating. I've had headaches and gripes and stress and things. And, uh, uh, there are people in my life who could give you some details on that, but I'm hoping that they'll be discreet. But uh, I've been I've been filling some of the uh, off hours with just music and movies and TV shows that I like, and that's that's really what this podcast is all about. So we're gonna we're gonna touch on some of those. I don't have a lot to talk about today. That's you know, super current or super you know hot topical. I mean, one of them is kind of hot topical because it just came out, but. Uh, we'll, we'll get there. It, uh, yeah, I just, I don't have a lot to tell you that's, that's, you know, super new, but it's all kind of comfort food for me. And it's, it's the kind of thing that maybe you'll like if you're a guy kind of like me. Speaking of liking things, if you like the show, the show has a companion blog where there's photos and other information over at emptychecking.blogspot.com. The show itself is hosted at emptychecking.podbean.com. It's available on all of the podcast apps, including the one that you're listening to it on now. If you're not listening to it on an app, tell me what app you prefer, and I will tell you if it is there. I think we're on all of them, unless anybody changed any of their rules. If you like me and the music stuff that I write and do, you can uh, read more about that over at DerekBrink.com. The music that you're hearing on the podcast is all my stuff. It's all original stuff, and it's all available for absolutely free or pay what you want over at DerekBrink.Bandcamp.com. If you want it for free, all you do is enter zero as your purchase price, and you can take it. I don't collect your email address. I won't even know that you took it. I would just love it if you loved it. And if you want to engage with the show, particularly me, you can do so by emailing db, those are my initials, db at derekbrink.com. I respond to everybody who isn't mean to me in their email. I'll tell you this, I'm recording this late in the day, and uh, I can tell it's a little bit cool outside because I'm actually comfortable. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I've spent uh, a few sweaty evenings here in the last... Uh, last couple of like week or so because it's it's been warm out and whatnot and very humid but it's it's uh, i can tell it's not very humid out because i'm actually comfortable it's probably it's got to be you know low low 70s high 60s out there right now it's it's kind of nice so that's uh that's that's the weather i like i like fall weather autumnal weather if you will and uh, just getting a little glimpse of that in August is, is kind of lovely. Probably means that the world is screwed, that the planet is just going to collapse one day. If that happens, I really hope they don't have a timer on it or a clock on it. They don't know when it's going to happen, so they're not telling us. Just one day it'll be over, and we'll all be like, oh, fine. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, that's uh, hopefully it'll be nice autumnal weather when that happens. I think we're supposed to have some decent weather the rest of this week. I think it doesn't get hot until the weekend. Uh, you come to MT Checking for the St. Louis Weather Report. Uh, we've got some fun stuff to talk about today. I'm going to have fun talking about it. You'll probably, question mark, have fun hearing about it. Been texting with Dave this week to get a get another Fab 15 kind of going. That's going to be fun, too. But that's not that's not this week, and it's probably not next week. But soon, and for the rest of your lives... I clearly don't know how to do the show anymore. I'm so tired that words just come out of my mouth, and there's a microphone in front of said mouth, and hopefully none of what I say is cancelable. I guess we'll see, and you'll you'll let me know for sure. But, uh, uh, yeah, I don't know. This is empty checking. I, I hope you're having a good time so far. <laughs> One man stand idly by and another man a savior One man choose to give his life and another man pull the trigger One man give all that he got and one man drown in riches One man bathe in the fire of life and another burned by what he is And then, oh and then, and then he is a man And then, oh and then I want to start the first major segment of the thing and by thing, I mean show. And by show, I mean thing. I want to start the first 
segment of the thing by telling you about something that's kind of special to me, kind of personal for those of you who are really only here to hear what I have to say about uh, pop culture and music and TV shows and stuff. This might be, there might be a little bit lost on you here, but I, I want to talk to you about one of my guitars, actually one of my basses. I realized over the last week that one of the instruments in my collection, not the oldest instrument in my collection, but the one I've had the longest, at least more or less, is my early 1990s Ibanez EX series bass. I got it in 1993, and by my math, it's currently 2023, so I've had this instrument for 30 years. And that's not nothing. And I wanted to talk about that bass for a little bit, because I still have it. I've never traded it in. I've never, you know, I, I've never loaned it out and gotten it back. Like, it's always been in my collection. I've always, uh, and in my possession, I've always uh, looked after it and kind of taken care of it, uh, which you can't really tell because it has chips and gouges and dents and uh, all the things that you expect a working instrument to have over 30 years. Uh, but I've, uh, I've, always, uh, I've always had this thing. Uh, no, none of the parts on it are you know, aftermarket. It's all stock stuff, uh, with the exception of I'm I'm sure that I had to have the uh, uh, output replaced at one point. That's barely. I mean, that doesn't even count. I didn't upgrade it. I just had it replaced. Uh, obviously, I've changed the strings now and again. Uh, there have been times that I've had a D tuner on the low E string, but it's currently the stock tuner. So, uh, I mean, just pretty much everything on it is stock. I've never done anything with the pickups, never, you know, anything like that. Uh, the uh, the most significant changes I've made to it are the strings, and like I said, for a while I had a D tuner on it. Uh, but yeah, it's it's just, it is as it was when I got it. It's substantial to me. It's actually not the first bass I ever owned. The first bass I ever owned, I was in a, uh, uh, well, I was, I, I thought I was starting a band when I was in, uh, I think, sixth grade, and th it, it came down to somebody had to play the bass, and I was willing to do it, and we kind of, we kind of, quote-unquote, formed our band, and uh, I, I bought a bass at a pawn shop, which was a big deal for me, because I bought that with my own money, quote-unquote, my own money, you know, you, you know. Uh, the, I, I bought it with money that I scrimped and saved from money that mom and dad were giving me, and loose change that I was just kind of piling into a jar and whatnot. And uh, 50 bucks is a $50 bass. It was a white Kingston electric bass. I, uh, I loaned it to a guy named Jason. That's how I learned not to loan out instruments. Uh, Jason promptly disappeared. And I never saw him or the bass again. Um, in fact, he has he he had several things of mine. He uh, stole some CDs, some books, some T-shirts, that kind of thing. Uh, he was someone that I regarded as a friend who turned out to be less. Uh, just one of those people. It's you know you're young, you learn these lessons. Uh, but yeah, that's that's sort of how I learned not to loan out bases. If anybody ever bumps into in a pawn shop a Kingston electric bass. Uh, let me know, especially if it's white. I'd kind of like to have one again, just because, I mean, I'm not going to use it really, but it'd be nice to kind of, especially just have a white Kingston electric bass in there. Uh, if my memory serves correctly, one of the tuners, possibly more of the tuners, were actually replaced with guitar-sized tuners rather than bass tuners, because I think one of them, like, one or more of them, like, broke. Um... And, you know, it was my first bass, it was a pawn shop bass, when I got a better bass, it just kind of became an instrument to experiment on, so I think I, like, sanded down the finish a little bit as well, I know I had stickers on it, uh, I, I, I'm pretty sure the stickers were, like, heart-shaped stickers, if anybody just has this in your basement, contact me, let me know, that's probably my bass, um, that Jason stole from me, and I would be interested in getting it back. I'm sure it found its way to some other pawn shop at some point and is long since gone. I doubt that he actually learned how to play the thing. Anyway, that was my first bass, was the Kingston. But I, I was playing it, and I was getting serious about being in this band, and the band that we started kind of fell apart and splintered into a different band that was named uh, Reverse Mirror Image, RMI. The drummer, Mike, friend of the show, Mike. Hi, Mike. 
Uh, the drummer had that name in his back pocket for a while, and we started using it. That band would later turn into my band Union Jack, which actually became a whole deal. Uh, like that was we were we were good. We were appreciated. People liked us. People followed us around and stuff. We had fans and everything. But uh, it started out as RMI. That was that's where I was getting serious and sort of really digging into the bass and whatnot. And it became obvious that. I was going to need lessons because I didn't even know how to tune that white Kingston electric bass. Uh, so we were up at Dale's Music one day. Uh, my mom and I were there. I think Mark uh, from Union Jack slash RMI. Mark might have been there. Mark, if you were there, let me know. Mark, also friend of the show. Uh, Mark, if you were there, just let me know about that one. But uh, we, we were there. I think in my mind we were there to buy guitar picks. But mom signed me up for lessons and found that I liked this purple Ibanez bass because I liked, I mean, Mark played an Ibanez guitar. I thought Ibanez guitars were cool and I liked the shape of the headstock and all that stuff. And I liked purple a lot. I still like purple a lot. And uh, I just kind of fell in love with this bass and mom bought me that bass. She put it into layaway, didn't take it home that day. It came home on or about my 13th birthday. So 1993, my 13th birthday, right in there. I don't. I actually don't remember if it was bought for my birthday or if it just kind of was bought leading up to my birthday. So it was either bought in May or it came home in May. That's I can't remember which, you know, for the sake of historical accuracy or whatever. But, uh, uh, yeah, she bought me that bass. And that's that's a big deal in and of itself. Because my mother was... Not always the most encouraging of people. She uh, she found a lot of fault, and she, you know, anything that was like your dreams, she sort of had a way of making you realize that they they weren't necessarily always achievable, you know? Which in some ways is doing you a favor, because somebody really needs to, you know, let you know that, <laughs> and let you know that early, that, hey... You've got a dream, and that's awesome, and work toward it, that, that's great. That's the part that mom didn't say so much, but work toward it, that's great, but just be aware that you're going to need a backup plan, you know? Like, that, 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 like nobody says that to you, and a lot of people should. Or, conversely, everybody says that to you, and somebody should say the opposite. I mean, that's just, <laughs> it's, it's a difficult balance, but mom erred on the side of uh, pessimism. That's probably where I get it from. So to have her, to have her, you know, buy that instrument for me and kind of, I don't know, just express in that way that, oh, I, I believe you could be good at this. You know, that was a big deal. Uh, mom would pass away in 1994. By the time mom passed away, I was fluently playing Rush songs uh, up to the point where one day I remember very specifically being in the living room playing along with a Rush song. And dad, you know, pointing at me and going, hey, look what he's doing, you know, and, and mom, you're looking and going, what, he's faking it. You know, like, once again, she was not the most encouraging of people. But yeah, I, I could play Rush songs before mom passed away, and she heard me play them and didn't believe that I played them. So uh, <laughs> that gives you a little bit of a look into that relationship and why the sort of moment of, uh, yeah, I think you can do this was important. And... So she knew I liked this bass. We bought this bass. I'm sure there were some conversations there between her and my dad, to which I was not privy. Uh, or at least there was some kind of... I'm, I'm, I'm sure there was more to the decision-making than just on a whim she bought it. Uh, although it would not be out of her character to behave that way. <laughs> she definitely bought things on a whim quite a bit. But anyway, this bass came home with me. And it became my whole deal. Like, by the time it was actually in the house, I'd been taking lessons long enough that I sort of knew what I was doing. The band was starting to sound like we knew what we were doing, you know. And uh, I have photographs of me with the bass at a, at, you know, in my early teenage years. I've got one that was taken, I think, the week after I took it home that was taken with the band, with Mark and Mike there. And, uh, uh, yeah, just there's uh, that, that, was, that was a big deal. It was a big deal just to have that, because 
the first bass I ever had was a piece of junk that I would kind of like back that uh, <laughs> that I paid 50 bucks for. And the second bass that I had cost within the hundreds of dollars and uh, was that, that just became my whole world. Like, I, I took it with me on vacations. I took it with me to, you know, uh, other events and things. And, and you know, to they, it, it accompanied me to school a couple of times. I ended up joining the orchestra pit and playing on that bass at one point. And uh, it just became a very important instrument to me. In some ways, it's still the instrument that I judge pickups by because if I can get a certain sound out of it, th it that's the sound I want. And that bass does it automatically just by turning down the middle knob. Uh, I, uh, hopefully the songs that you're hearing in between me talking here will feature that bass in some way, shape, or form. Uh, if I am just playing it in between segments here, as I've done with guitars in the past, or maybe, maybe they'll just be songs that, that heavily feature that bass that, that are from my catalog, but... Uh, there, yeah, there's just a tone to that when you turn down the middle knob that I love, and I want to get that sound out of a bass. And if I can get that sound out of the bass, I want to buy that bass. And that's just how I feel about it. I don't always use that sound, but if that sound is obtainable, that's the sound that I, I know that this is going to be a good bass that's going to play in the frequencies that I like to hit. So yeah, that Ibanez bass became my whole thing. In many ways, it's still my whole thing. And I've uh, officially had it for 30 years now. And it still plays. It still sounds great. It's got pretty old strings on it. Those strings might have been on there since the zero zeros. I'm not completely sure. Uh, but uh, uh, Rotosound strings. Always Rotosound strings on that bass ever since I discovered Rotosound strings. As often as I can get them, the uh, Rotosound Billy Sheehan signature strings are my preference for that bass. I like to throw those on my uh, green Ibanez sound gear bass as well. For a long time, I only liked Ibanez basses. Uh, and it's because of that bass. It's because of the purple one. It, uh, uh, it, it, like I said, has some nicks and knocks and paint chips out of it and things like that. But uh, it still plays wonderfully. It still plays perfectly. It's been featured on several of my albums. It's right out front on the Departure album on several tracks. Uh, but it's it, it's just got a sound that I love, and it's just got a feel that I love. By now, it feels like old wood, and that's really cool, because uh, <laughs> it is old wood, and, you know, that just has a certain feel to it. It just it feels lived in, it feels played, it feels loved. It has been a weapon, it has been a shield, it has been a companion and a friend, it has helped me sing, it has helped me scream, it has been foundational to my musical career. And that started 30 years ago. We're celebrating 30 years of Derek, basically, as a performer right now. Uh, which I, I don't know how I didn't realize that sooner. It just sort of came to me over this past week. I just realized, wow, wait a minute, I got that bass in 1993. And it's 2023 now, so that's that's 30, you know... That just came to me this week, and that's that's amazing. You know, like, <laughs> there's not a lot in my life that I can point at and say, yeah, had that for 30 years, you know, but I can say that about that bass, and that's that's a big deal. I've had amps come and go. I've had other guitars come and go. That bass has been with me the whole time. That's, that's a part of me, man. That's a big deal. It uh, is also the bass that started my habit of nicknaming my guitars. Just because I, I thought you were always supposed to name your guitar something, like, you know, B.B. King has Lucille and that kind of thing. Uh, this bass is called Laverne, and the reason I got to the name Laverne is because in uh, our band, Union Jack, Mark, again, hi Mark, friend of the show, uh, Mark had, a, had gotten a Telecaster at one point, and as we all do, he referred to it as a telly. But I'm a teenager. I had never heard anyone call it that before. I'd never heard the word Telecaster before. I, you know, what did I know? But uh, he, you know, he was constantly saying telly. You know, telly this, telly, telly, telly. And uh, that just sort of popped in my head, and I zeroed in on it. And so I named my bass Laverne so that we'd be Laverne and telly. You know, that we'd be sort of like Laverne and Shirley, mnemonically. I don't know either. I was a weird kid. Uh, but, uh, that was, that was, uh, that, that was it. I, call, I started calling it Laverne, and to this day, I think of that bass as Laverne. That's Laverne, you know? And, uh, I love her very much, and I, uh, uh, constantly 
fall back on that base. I, I constantly, I mean, just sitting around the house noodling, it's one of the ones that I don't keep out in the main part of the house that's actually in my bedroom. So that if I, if I uh, in the middle of the night, wake up and have a thought in my head and I want to try to work it out, that's the bass I grab. I mean, that's just, that's one of my go-to instruments in this house. I've got basses that cost many, many times what the value of that bass is. I can't even do the math on that. And that's more than double, more than triple, you know, whatever. I've got basses with uh, four-digit price tags on them. But uh, that is the one that I grab. That is the first one I go to to try to write something, to try to noodle, to try to figure something out. It just feels perfect. Years ago, when I was still taking lessons and whatnot, which I should get back into taking lessons on a couple of things, but I should at least take piano lessons so I can play the piano that's in my house a little bit better. But back when I was taking bass lessons... I worked to get the action on it really, really smooth and came in one day to my lessons with the action down where I wanted it and where it was, you know, very smooth and I could, you know, fly across the fretboard. And I showed it to my bass teacher, Barry, and I said, here, you know, try playing it. And he kind of starts playing it and goes, I don't know how you did it, man. You got it. You know, <laughs> like he was so proud of me for figuring out how to adjust the action on it by myself. And like that bass is what taught me what I want out of a bass and what I want out of a guitar and how to adjust the action and how to get the strings feeling like they should on the neck. And that's that's how I learned that. Every major musical lesson that I've learned in my life, especially as a rock musician, came from that bass, from having that bass. Laverne has been my constant companion for 30 years, and I owe pretty much... Everything that I've done as a musician to that afternoon in Dale's Music when Mom bought me that bass, put it into layaway. And again, that's not nothing. It's not necessarily my main performance bass. I haven't taken it out for performances in I don't know how long, maybe 20 years since that's seen a stage, but it's been on most of the records I keep coming back to it for the records because I want that sound that when I turn off that middle knob, that's the sound I want. And that bass does it automatically without me having to do anything else. I've got Rickenbackers, I've got Fenders, I've got other Ibanezes, I've got a Galveston 12-string, I've got a Yamaha fretless, but I keep going back to Laverne. It's a cool bass. I've had it for 30 years, and I... I don't know, I needed to mark that. I put some photos up on my social media and wrote a post about that for Facebook and whatnot, but I wanted to do something here too, and I'll put some photos on the blog over at emptychecking.blogspot.com, probably virtually identically the same photos as were in my Facebook post. But I, just, I don't know, I just wanted to mark that. 30 years with the same instrument, that's... Not everybody can say that. A lot of the other musicians I know sold off those instruments that they had in the 90s for quote-unquote better instruments. I kept them and just bought the quote-unquote better instruments. And guess what? I keep going back to the old ones. You'd think I'd learn, but I keep buying <laughs> new instruments that are supposed to be the... This is supposed to be the one that's going to change everything. Uh, and I keep going back to the old ones. Because those are the ones that have stood the test of time that have proven themselves, that feel like home. And that's what that bass is to me. That's what Laverne, the Ibanez EX Series Purple Bass is to me. It's a little bit of home. So yeah, just wanted to mark that, and I think I've done that. And uh, hopefully you'll be, like while I'm saying this part, you'll be hearing some music fade in that features that bass, Future Derek. Remember to do that. And you can just enjoy a little bit of that sound for a little while. Oh, 
So, as I finish taking a sip of my liquid death mango chainsaw sparkling water, murder your thirst, I, uh, I want to talk to you about some music. Some CDs, some Blu-rays, that kind of thing. We've, uh, we've got a nice little pile of stuff to talk about, all of which is kind of related in one way or another. Stay with me, you'll find out how. Uh, I want to start by talking to you about somebody that I already talked to you about last week. So, I, I didn't realize the timing on all of this, so I want to talk to you about Neil Young some more. Talked about Neil Young box set last week. Uh, also, new Neil Young album out this week. New slash old. He's dipping into his archives and just releasing a bunch of the stuff that he always meant to release and or was rumored to have meant to release and stuff, and that's kind of what this one is. He finally put out the album Chrome Dreams, which has been long since rumored to be one of the great Neil Young records that never came out. Would have come out in 1977 and contained a bunch of tracks that ended up on other albums anyway, and uh, just that combination of tracks makes it one of the best Neil Young albums that you never heard. So that's the, that's kind of why it is what it is in the mythos of Neil Young, if in fact Neil Young has any mythos. Uh, it's part of a release of just albums from that time period, that approximate time period that he he uh, was rumored to, re- to be releasing that he never quite released. It's uh, the third in a series of those uh, for sure. There may be others that I just haven't absorbed correctly. He's got, uh, this will be, uh, this would be his 44th studio album, uh, counting the stuff with Crazy Horse and whatnot. Not counting Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young, not counting Buffalo Springfield. Solo, 44 albums. Uh, he has uh, his discography that I'm aware of, I think is 101 albums, counting live albums, counting Buffalo Springfield, counting Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. I have 64 of them. So what is that, 37 left to go? Uh, so that's where I am in my Neil Young collecting. Anyway, he has put out three from roughly that same era, all of which contain songs that are on the others, so it's a little bit confusing. Which one was actually going to be the album, Neil, is my question. Was it going to be Hitchhiker? Was it going to be Homegrown? Or was it going to be Chrome Dreams? Which one is the album? Because there, there are some obvious overlaps in the track lists, but we're going to talk about Chrome Dreams mostly right now. It's a, a song list that if you're at all familiar with Neil, just, yeah, you know half of this. I'll just read the, it's 12 songs, I'll just read the track list to you. Uh, starts with Pocahontas, which is also on Hitchhiker and I think is the exact same version. But anyway, uh, Pocahontas, Will to Love, Star of Bethlehem, Like a Hurricane, Too Far Gone, Hold Back the Tears, Homegrown, Captain Kennedy, String Man, Sedan Delivery, Powderfinger, Look Out for My Love. That's the track list. That uh, uh, is a powerful track list. If you're familiar with them, you know a lot of those songs. Just for fun, let's also read the track list of Hitchhiker, which has on it Pocahontas, Powderfinger, Captain Kennedy, Hawaii, Give Me Strength, Ride My Llama, Hitchhiker, Campaigner, Human Highway, and The Old Country Waltz. You'll notice a few similar tracks there. Let's also go ahead and read the track list to uh, Homegrown, which has on it Separate Ways, Try, Mexico, Love is a Rose, Homegrown, Florida, Kansas, We Don't Smoke It No More, White Line, Vacancy, Little Wing, and Star of Bethlehem. A little less similar there, but still one or two that are also on Chrome Dreams. You can see what the problem is. <laughs> you know, like, that's the one criticism is, all right, which one, like, pick one. Which one is the album, uh, you know, from that era? But Neil Young has always been like that. He's always released stuff in weird ways. He's constantly releasing live albums that have completely new songs on them that he did in front of a live audience that didn't know what to expect out of new songs and kind of went to hear Like a Hurricane, but whatever, I guess he's going to do this. Uh, he's, he's done that a lot in his career, just released live material that is new stuff, released multiple albums a year, released albums that repeat songs from earlier in his career, and so on and so on and so on. He's done that a lot, and so it's not 
necessarily out of character that he was doing this in 1977, too, but it is a little bit confusing if you're trying to figure out, well, which one... Like, what? which one of these is an album? And, like, are these best ofs? What are these? You know? They're... They're archival, is what they are. They're albums that didn't quite come together at the time that you heard those songs elsewhere, most of them anyway, the best ones, and now he's releasing them as they would have been if they had come out earlier. That's just, that's what we're doing. Uh, I've been a little bit critical of that in what I've been saying so far, but let me tell you this, I'm a Neil Young fan, I'm a Neil Young guy, he's my star that I steer by, Neil Young is my co-pilot, and uh, I'm really glad and really grateful that he's doing this, and I've loved each release, and it's interesting to hear the differences in some of the different takes from song to song, on the ones that repeat each other, and the ones that showed up on other projects, and... Uh, I'll tell you this, Chrome Dreams, there's a reason Neil Young fans have been clamoring for this one for so long, because it's just a wonderful listen. It's just a wonderful listen, especially if you're already a Neil guy, if you already like his stuff, or gal, or what have you. If, uh, if, you, if you already like Neil's stuff, then this one just fits right in to where you want it to fit. I, I I didn't say that very well. That it's uh it's a it's a good album is what I'm trying to say. That's all I'm trying to say is <laughs> I, I really enjoyed listening to Chrome Dreams. Uh if it were possible for it to be on my top ten list for the year, it definitely would be. It'd be in the top five, it'd probably be in the top three. But it's an album that was supposed to come out in nineteen seventy seven and that features several songs that we've known for decades, and that's just plain not eligible, even though it's technically quote-unquote new in 2023. It, Neil makes it difficult in that way. In the same way that, like, Guided by Voices does, like, Neil puts out a whole bunch of stuff, you know, throughout the course of a year, and just expects you to figure it out. You know, and that can be frustrating, uh, but... I, I guess Neil Young does it in a way that I appreciate, whereas Guided by Voices does it in a way that flusters me. You know, Neil Neil is doing it in a way that, like, I could see myself doing that, you know? And uh, I'm glad that he did it with Chrome Dreams. What's interesting is that in 2007, I think it's interesting anyway, in 2007, he put out an album called Chrome Dreams 2, without Chrome Dreams actually being out there. Chrome Dreams 2 contains no songs that you know from elsewhere. It's all entirely new material for that record, recorded in, like, kind of one take each, like, recorded live, more or less, with his band, with a handful of overdubs. And uh, you don't know these songs from elsewhere. In fact, these songs, for the most part, didn't really go on to be anything in the rest of his career, but it's Chrome Dreams 2, and having listened to Chrome Dreams this week, I also popped in Chrome Dreams 2 and listened to it almost immediately afterward. And it's an album that, at the time that came out in 07 and in the years that followed, I kind of I kind of shrugged off and went, yeah, I guess it's a perfectly good Neil Young record, but whatever, I don't, I don't really get it. You know, I kind of... I kind of passed it by. But hearing it in the context of playing it right after Chrome Dreams 1... It makes a lot of sense. I absolutely see why he named it that. Like, this album finally being out is helping me to appreciate the latter album. And that's pretty cool. In fact, it's just kind of cool that he's been around since the, you know, early 70s, late 60s, whatever. And, like, I'm, I'm, I'm only going back to 2007, because the 1977 one I was always going to like. That's right in the pocket of where Neil was maybe at his most prolific and quote-unquote best. But the one from 07 got a little bit overlooked, even by me, a Neil Young guy. And I went back to that this week and found fresh water there and really enjoyed listening to it. It's, it's cool that he's been around for so long that you can circle back and enjoy his old stuff as though it's new. And he can release his old stuff as though it's new. And you'll kind of go, yeah, that feels fresh, even though I know it's from 1977, and I've heard these songs before. It still feels new and relevant and vital. Neil Young does that better than maybe anybody, just because he has always refused to compromise. He's always just kind of done what he thinks is right for him, 
and he's usually right. And it's nice to finally have Chrome Dreams be an official album out there. There have been bootlegs over the years. I've never had one personally, but there have been bootlegs over the years. But it's nice that it's finally out there in a real format for people to really put their hands on and listen to and have fun with. That's just awesome. So thanks for releasing that, Neil, who definitely is listening to this episode of the show. Uh, thanks for releasing that, and thanks for you know, just giving me a reason to dive back into into a great catalog of music again. 30, uh, 37 albums to go, and I'm, 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 I'm up to date. Could really, uh, really use a lotto win or something to make that happen. In the meantime, let's talk about something else that's also music and also involves Neil Young. Uh, I watched The Last Waltz this week, the, the, the concert film that's the band, you know, the band. Uh, that uh, their their sort of quote unquote last performance that they meant to do together. <laughs> uh, I watched that because they're the world in the past uh, week, I think almost week to the day since the last episode came out. In the past week, we lost Robbie Robertson of the band, who was kind of the centerpiece of the group, whether the rest of the group liked that or not. He was the main lyric writer, the main songwriter, or at least it was trademarked that way. Other members of the band, like Levon Helm, would dispute that. In fact, particularly Levon Helm would dispute that. But as far as what's on the books, Robbie Robertson is more or less responsible for the band. And uh, he passed away this last week. He was... Whatever else you could say about the guy, and you could say a lot of stuff, and you could criticize a lot of stuff... Just a phenomenal guitar player. Just one of those next-level guys that, like, oh, you, you just hear him play and you go, well, he's a genius, you know? And The Last Waltz is one of the all-time seminal concert films directed by Morton Scorsese. Scorsese? I never know. I will never know which way it's supposed to be pronounced. I feel like I've heard him pronounce it both ways. Uh, let's just call him Marty. Directed by Marty, um who uh, you know from such movies as uh, The King of Comedy, and uh, I don't I don't think he ever did any others. I think it was only King of Comedy. Kidding, sorry. Uh, you know, uh, C- Casino and The Departed and uh, The Irishman and Goodfellas, like virtually any mob movie that wasn't The Godfather over the last 40 years was was one of Marty's movies. But he's also done a number of concert films, and he did The Last Waltz. And uh, beautifully captured, beautifully mixed, beautifully edited. Uh, I hear that in post, the band went back and did some overdubbing and did some correcting and stuff like that which was just the style at the time, but it does kind of make you feel worse about watching it because, eh, well, how much of this actually is live? But uh, from what I understand, the guest musicians that were on it, like none of them came back to do overdubs on their stuff. And one of the guest musicians at at the last waltz was Neil Young, who did a version of uh, Helpless with Joni Mitchell singing background vocals. Joni was behind the stage singing background vocals because they didn't want to spoil the surprise that she was there. So she was singing in the wings while Neil Young did Helpless. Neil, I think, did a couple of songs, but the one that actually made the film was Helpless. And uh, he came back out at the end to kind of sing along with the closing song and and sort of... Uh, there, was, there was a point toward the end of the of the performance where Neil Young's just sort of looking off into space and looks kind of happy. And you go, wow, what was, what was he seeing right there? If I ever meet Neil Young, I'm going to ask him that. Hey, at the end of the last waltz, when you're uh, staring off into the distance and you just look really happy, what were you seeing? Because uh, I, I, I've, I've got questions. Uh, but, you know, also present at that were, like I said, Joni Mitchell, uh, Dr. John showed up, Bob Dylan was involved. Dylan, of course, worked extensively with the band for a number of years there, and uh, they were they were his backup band for some time, and and uh, the basement tapes and all that, all that sort of folklore that goes into Dylan, that's mostly bullshit. Uh, yeah, Dylan was involved. Dylan almost wasn't involved. He had told them he didn't want the set recorded at the very last minute. He said, ah, I don't want you to record my set. 
And they were like, but if, what do you mean? If we don't record your set, we've got, we're losing millions of dollars, you know? So he conceded to let them uh, record, I think, two songs is what ended up on here. But Bob Dylan was involved. He was there, and it went fine. Uh, which actually, yeah, I, I enjoyed watching this, but like the whole time I was watching it, it just sort of reminded me of a story from my own past uh, in 1994, in July of 1994, I looked up the dates. In July of 1994, the band came into St. Louis and played, of all things, a free concert at Union Station, which is mind-blowing to think about now. At the time, I didn't appreciate it. I wasn't that familiar with the band. But uh, that's mind-blowing to think of to me now, that they played a free show at Union Station on, I think it was July 7th, 1994, if I remember what I looked up on the internet. And uh, I remember being at that, being under-familiar with them. I'm sure I'd heard the weight and stuff like that. And I, I enjoyed it, you know, but I just didn't know a lot about them. But I just remember having a good time and, and kind of... Like, I remember at one point there was a brief pause, like, where nobody was saying anything or playing anything... And some guy in the crowd yelled, Welcome back to St. Louis! And and Levon Helm from behind the drum kit just, Thanks a lot, brother! You know, and just, they just, it just kind of was one of those fun little... Like, it, it looked like the, the band was having fun. You know, it looked like Levon Helm was having fun. Which is a rare thing for a Levon Helm while he's working with the band. Uh, but it, it, yeah, it, it was a fun memory. And I remember being there with a few friends and, uh, you know, just just having a good time. You know, and being there, like, it was just us. It was just us teenagers. Like, we didn't have any adults with us. And we were down at Union Station watching the band and had to, like, scramble back to get on the Metrolink to go home and whatnot. That was... I just remember that as being a really fun experience. And I'm glad I got to see that. Because this week we said goodbye to Robbie Robertson. And whatever else you could say about the guy. Hell of a songwriter, hell of a guitarist. And may he rest in peace. And the last thing I want to talk about is connected to those things in another way. Uh, also in the Criterion Collection, another Blu-ray, The Rolling Thunder Review, a Bob Dylan story directed by Marty Scorsese, or Scorsese, or whatever. Might be pronounced Jones. There's no way we can ever find that out for sure. Uh, but yeah, Bob Dylan's Rolling Thunder Review, a tour that was well known it's it's kind of gone down in infamy is the wrong word but it's it's gone down as one of the all-time most interesting tours like it's just one of those things that you talk about Dylan you start talking about the Rolling Thunder review it was Dylan playing smaller more intimate shows in small smaller more intimate towns just kind of getting away from the you know stadiums and arenas and things that he was used to playing at the time and playing just small little gigs with guest musicians and stuff and uh i've i've got like the uh i've got the cd box set of the rolling thunder dates and it's really interesting to listen to because he goes through a number of, per of permutations of what yeah he was doing on that tour and whatever whatever else is said of dylan he never does the same thing twice and that's evident just listening from night to night on the box set he uh uh, often to people's chagrin, just does whatever he feels like doing, you know? And if you're a Dylan guy, if you're really into Dylan, whatever he does, you're like, yeah, all right, I got to see Bob do that. But if you're, you know, if you like Dylan's hits, you're going to go to the show and be severely disappointed. That's just what he's like. And that's what he's always been like. I mean, you know, when he plugged in, it was a huge scandal. But uh, the Rolling Thunder Review as a, as a tour, as a concert event, has kind of gone down in history as one of the all-time great tours. And Martin Scorsese, Scorsese, little Marty, uh, got his hands on some of the footage and did a documentary of it with Bob Dylan in the current day, I believe uh, 2019, talking about it, you know, looking back on it and whatnot, and other people also talking about it in the present day and footage of the actual tour at the time. Problem is, it's being called a documentary, and it really isn't, because they inserted a number of fictional elements to it. Like, there's a guy who is claiming to have been the filmmaker who was filming all the original footage, who is absolutely an actor, was not involved in the original process at all. They just kind of threw him in there to tell 
a version of the story that is fictionalized, and they have a number of people show up in the modern-day interviews that are telling fictionalized versions of the story, including Bob himself is telling fictionalized versions of the story. The part where I caught on to that, because I was watching this going, oh, this is really interesting. I didn't know there was so much going on. The part where I caught up was at one point uh, Sharon Stone is interviewed and makes it clear that she was present during the tour and started up a love affair with Bob Dylan during the tour. And I went, that didn't happen. I would know if Sharon Stone and Bob Dylan dated. And so that's where I kind of read, you know, went to Wikipedia and read up on it and went, oh, this entire thing is bullshit. Well, that fits in a lot better with the Bob Dylan that I know and love. Uh, and I didn't finish it because I don't need to be lied to, you know, so I, I was very disappointed with that, to be honest with you. I'll probably go back and actually finish it at some point because the concert footage is worth it, but everything else about it is bullshit, and that just made me angry. Uh, but yeah, the the Sharon Stone stuff, they had to fudge the numbers because she would have been 17 at the time that she had her affair with Bob Dylan, as was reported in the movie, but uh, they made her 19, so I guess it was okay. But that's, uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know. The the whole thing just left a bad taste in my mouth. The concert footage on it is really, really interesting and really looks good and sounds good. I wish it were just the concert stuff and they weren't cutting into bullshit narratives that didn't happen. It's interesting. I understand why it's in the Criterion Collection as a result of you know the way that was done, but... There really needs to be a disclaimer at the front that says this is a work of fiction, because it is. It's not a documentary, and they're claiming it's a documentary. So, I don't know. Watch it, or don't. Or watch it up until the point where you go, that isn't what happened, and turn it off at that point, because that's what I did. So I guess the summary here is, I love Neil Young, I like the band, and I like Bob Dylan, but I didn't like that release. So that's your that's your music wrap-up for this particular episode. That's the music stuff that I've been watching. The Neil Young stuff is on CD. The Last Waltz, I watched the Criterion release of that. It's also available on CD or vinyl, the soundtrack. And the Rolling Thunder review. Uh, get the concert footage, listen to the concert recordings. Maybe give the movie a pass. That's, that's where we are. That's your music catch-up for what I've been listening to this week during a frustrating hectic, stressful week. That's the stuff that was helping to get me through it. Even even the thing that I didn't like that much helped to get me through it. So, music can do that. If you like the genres that I'm talking about, maybe some of that can help you get through your next stressful week. I want to talk to you about one last thing, and it's something that I watched that uh, just kind of came out of the blue. It had been on my mind that I wanted to see some of this, and then it just sort of fell into my lap, so it just serendipity occurred. Uh, I've been watching over the past several days some I Love Lucy. I, uh, I do love Lucy. I looked through the empty checking blog over at emptychecking.blogspot.com, and I did not see that I've talked about this in the past, so I'm talking about it now. I don't know why or how I didn't talk about it in the past, but time makes fools of us all. Uh, I, of course, because I, I love that show and I love Lucy, I have the complete series of I Love Lucy. I've got the box set that goes through you know the early pilot all the way up through uh, Ernie Kovacs showing up and whatnot at the very end, the Lucy Desi Comedy Hour and whatnot where it gets a little bit kind of, uh, I guess this is still on. You know, <laughs> I've got the complete series. Uh, I had been thinking about the era of I Love Lucy that I love the most, that I think most Lucy fans kind of love the most. Th that may be an unfair generalization, but I think it might be true. Uh, I was thinking about Lucy's time where Lucy and the gang went to California to make Ricky's movie. I was thinking about those episodes and thinking, yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen those in a while. Those are a lot of fun. I, I think of those as 
sort of what my introduction to Lucy was, because when I was a kid, they started showing Lucy on uh, Nick at Night, and I started recording it onto VHS, and uh, that was just kind of where we were. We were going to California. And so I, I think of those episodes fondly, and I was just kind of recently thinking, it'd be nice to rewatch those. I should dig out the, the, the DVDs or Blu-rays or whatever it is that I have and, and, and rewatch those. And uh, found out that on Pluto TV, which is free, they're a free streaming service, uh, at least as of the time of this recording, if you listen to this later, who knows, but uh, Pluto TV has a station that just shows I Love Lucy. So I thought, well, that's interesting. You know, I was just kind of clicking around Pluto. I recently installed it and hadn't really clicked around it. So I was clicking around it and saw there's a Lucy station. So I, I clicked onto the Lucy station, and lo and behold, they're in the Pontiac, and they're singing, California, here I come. And I was like, oh, they're showing those episodes. So I just sat there and spent pretty much a whole day watching Lucy go to California and hit Bill Holden in the face with a pie and shatter John Wayne's footprints from Grauman's Chinese Theater and do the mirror gag with Harpo and just all that. And I had a really good time, and it made me happy because I love that nonsense. Like, that, that run of Lucy might be the only reason I'm familiar with that era of Hollywood star. That's probably how I learned a lot of those names. To this day, if you asked me what I've seen Bill Holden in, I would probably say, well, he's the guy that Lucy hit in the face with a pie in the Brown Derby. Uh, but otherwise, I don't know. I don't know that I've ever seen another Bill Holden project. You know? Like, that's there's just an era of Hollywood that I'm familiar with in a specific way because of I Love Lucy, specifically when they went to California. And that's kind of lovely, you know, that's kind of beautiful that, like, art can introduce you to other art. Like, I, I wouldn't have... I mean, I... Okay, look, I, I would have eventually gotten around to watching a John Wayne film, if not for I Love Lucy. That would have happened for me eventually. But I Love Lucy made it feel like it was going to be fun for me as a kid. Just like, oh, John Wayne's kind of funny and cool. I, I get it. And, you know, I wanted to watch a John Wayne movie. So I, I'm, I, I'm sure some of these characters... And some of these performers became known to me because of Lucy. I was already familiar with Harpo. I knew the Marx Brothers. I knew Harpo Marx. But, boy, wasn't it fun to see him doing the mirror gag with Lucy. That was just a blast when I was a kid. I was like, no way, worlds are colliding, you know, in the 1950s. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I genuinely do love Lucy. And I, I watched all of the California run, which, by the way, if you want it bad enough, you can do in a day. I watched all of the California run and just had a great time with an era of television that still holds up, even though, let's face it, the main thing, like, the Ricky Ricardo character is just there for accent humor. That's all they do with him. <laughs> He's just, he just pronounces things funny and Lucy makes fun of him. And also, let's face it, Lucy is not the women's rights trailblazer that she gets painted to be. She's actually kind of like, the character's kind of insulting to women in a lot of ways, and very sort of... Like, uh, Lucille Ball, the person, absolutely a champion for women's rights and women's representation in media. The character of Lucy Ricardo, absolute dingbat that you would not write that way these days. You know? I just used the word dingbat. That's, uh... <laughs> that's a word you haven't heard since All in the Family, I bet. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, there are, looking at it from today's perspective, there are problems with the show that you would, if you were making it today, you would have to correct, and you would be right to do so. There, you know, time and, and things change art in that way, and usually for the better. But, taken as a snapshot of the time period, taken for what it was at the time, if you can put yourself into that mindset, still really funny stuff. Still really cleverly written stuff, even the stuff that comes across misogynist or racist, is at least well written. You know? <laughs> That's so hard to justify. But, uh, yeah, let's, when you've got Desi Arnaz being 
you know, the the Desi and Desi Lou productions, you know that he had some control over how far they went making fun of his accent, you know? And when you've got Lucille Ball being the Lou in Desi Lou Productions, you know that she had a lot of say in how that character was presented. So that changes things a little bit. But even the stuff that, by today's standards, you would go, eh, you know, you can't do that. And that like, that's not cool anymore, you know? Even that stuff, it's so well-written, and it's such a tight joke that you can, if you can divorce yourself from the times that we currently live in, it's still really brilliant, and it's still really well done. And in that way, it stands the test of time, and in that way, I'm glad that we still have it. I just hope that we'll always have it in the right context. But for me, the California run of Lucy is some of the best TV that's ever been produced. It's, I don't know, it makes me feel, it makes me feel good, you know? It just reminds me of, this is, you know, on a personal note, I guess, but it just reminds me of being a kid and taking a sick day and being over at my grandma and grandpa's place and I Love Lucy is on Nick, Nick at Night and, or Nickelodeon or whatever and or even just on regular TV. I think they also ran on Channel 11 during the day. That must have been what I was watching at the time. And just watching it and having fun laughing at the same jokes that my grandma was laughing at, you know? It read across generations. Even though I didn't know who some of those actors were, it was still funny. You're like, oh, okay, he's a big, important actor, and Lucy wants to see him because she wants to say that she saw a big, important actor. I get it. Oh, that is funny, you know? In that way, it's wonderful. In that way, it makes me very happy, and I was uh, glad to bump into it on Pluto TV. Even though I easily could have walked down the hall into my office space and pulled out the DVD, it saved me the trouble of finding those episodes, because just by the grace of God, it was on, and I got to watch it. And maybe I'll do that a little bit more often as, uh, as time and streaming goes on. checkmates that is it that is the episode thank you so much for hanging in there with me i have been sitting here enjoying a can of liquid death murdering my thirst and i hope you're doing likewise they're still not sponsoring this show but i i really want them to because i could use some free liquid death uh they don't uh, they don't have to give me any money just give me free liquid death and i'll keep talking about how great you are if you don't apparently i will still talk about how great you are for free not not my best pitch for for my own benefit anyway i hope everybody had fun with this episode i had a lot of fun talking to you and just talking through this stuff couple of a couple of things i talked about pulled at my heartstrings a little bit and it, i didn't know that was going to happen you know just thought yeah i'll talk about my bass i'll talk about i love lucy and It'll be fine. Uh, I got a little emotional there a couple of times that you probably you probably didn't particularly notice, but I did, and uh, it's nice to feel things. I hope you felt some things, too. Um, I currently am staring down two adorable cats who are getting uh, more and more eager to go to bed because we're doing this right up, like we're coming right up on bedtime here as as we're recording this episode, and... My boys would like to uh, uh, sleep, which they are free to do at any time, but they seem to enjoy sleeping on top of me when I sleep, So, and I enjoy that they do. So we need to wrap up here pretty soon. Uh, in the near future, Dave and I will be doing a Fab 15. I think we've picked a topic even, so that'll, that'll make it better. Those are always a good time, and uh, even when it's something that I go into not really knowing what I'm going to do with my list, those are sometimes the most fun shows, you know? So uh, I think this one, this upcoming one's going to be a fun one, but no spoilers yet on what the subject is going to be. Probably a couple weeks out from that. In the meantime, I'll keep doing episodes kind of like this one, and uh, I hope that's okay with you, because that's how it's going to go. Not my strongest outro, either. I Apparently I do need to go to bed. The cats are right. Boys, we'll go to bed soon, okay? Jonko's already asleep on the counter. Aw, look at him. All cute.
Tiny little closed eyes. I love these boys. All right, checkmates, thank you so much for being here with me tonight or today, this morning. I don't know when you listen to this. Thank you for listening to the show. Really appreciate it. Always appreciate your support. Appreciate your emails over at uh, db at derekbrink.com. Again, I reply to everybody who's not mean to me in the emails. So uh, please let me know what you think about whatever I've talked about. Otherwise, checkmates, please remember to do whatever keeps you happy, healthy, and safe. Please remember that black lives matter, that LGBTQIA plus rights are human rights, that women's rights are human rights, and that I shouldn't have to tell you any of that. And checkmates, be good to each other, be good to yourself, forgive each other, and forgive yourself. And while you're doing all that, check us out next time. Fun fact, he never says, Lucy, you got some splaining to do. Not once. <laughs>